Welcome to the third instalment of The Hierarchy Decides. Now, just in case you may have found this podcast by accident, please stick around because over the next 30 minutes or so, you'll be hearing album reviews by members from the Thrash Metal album The Fortnite Club over at Facebook. The albums are from the years 2018, 1995 and 1985 and are all albums that featured in our D'Andrade Years feature. It's with huge thanks to Rob Davies, Jason Manley, Andrew Matthews and of course his wife, Neil Bolton, Carl Black, Paul Hutchins and Mike Todd for submitting their homework as reviews that we've been able to feature here in this podcast. So without further ado, it's over to Rob Davies to kick things off. Thrash fans, this is uh, Rob Davies reporting for the Thrash album of the Fortnite Club. Um, I was given X No Absolutes by Prong as my homework. Um, I own one Prong Prong album, uh, which is Beg to Differ, which was released just before I decided to walk away from the metal scene for a few years. But don't worry, I came back uh, around the time of the millennium and found out all the stuff that I'd been missing out on. I don't know why I never really followed up listening to any more prong because I really liked Beg to Differ, still play it now a lot. Um, so with X, no absolutes, uh, the album starts out like an absolute steam train with the track Ultimate Authority. It's um, it's built around a, like a brilliant one note riff, which I'm a massive fan of. I love simple riffs like one, two, three notes played with brilliant timing and aggression. Uh, another example of that would be something like Necroshine by Overkill or even Walk by Pantera, which I know divides a lot of people. Um, second track, Sense of Ease, is pretty damn fast. It's pure thrash, but I've never really considered Prong to be a thrash band. In fact, they're a difficult band to pigeonhole, which on the whole, I guess, is a good thing. Uh, the production is good and clear and crisp, if a little generic. Uh, the drums have got that sound which is a little bit too processed for my liking. So many bands use this uh, these days and I find it starts to grate if I think too much about it. Um, so the answer is of course not to think too much about it, but there you go. Um, as I mentioned, they're a really difficult band to pigeonhole. Each song is uh, actually quite different, which is credit to the band, but they don't all sound good. I'm reminded slightly of Machine Head in places, uh, which I'm not sure is a good thing, Um, but then the title track starts and it's very average, and there's even a hint of auto-tune about the vocals too. I might be wrong, but you know, that's what I'm hearing, and I find that quite annoying. Then comes what I can only describe as a My Chemical Romance song, Do Nothing which I really don't like, and you can imagine a tubby goth teenager absolutely wetting themselves while listening to this while polishing their Herman Munster-style boots. Things get slightly more back on track with belief system and soul sickness and worth pursuing, which probably should have been the album closer. But oh no, we're left with a song called With Dignity, which has a really unpleasant stain of Linkin Park all over it. It's truly awful. So... In summary, what we've got here is an album that could be two completely different artists on one record. A really good, inventive, heavy metal band who clearly love a decent riff, and then what sounds like a hideous new metal outfit from 2001. The heavy metal stuff gets a solid 7 score from me, but I can't live with a new metal approach on a lot of the other stuff, so I probably won't be returning to this album. Rob Davis, over and out. 
Thank you, Rob. Great review. Better late than never as well. And that's uh, an apology to Rob because it should have featured in the first of the hierarchy decides. But unfortunately, we cocked up and didn't get it in there. So better late than never from 2016. That was the Prongs X No Absolutes. They're a popular band within the club. In fact, the album uh, Ruining Lives is up there on the Hall of Fame, getting 7.17 out of 10 as voted by the members. You know you're going to get riffed with Prong, don't you? So cracking review. Thank you very much, Rob. It's now on to Jason. At uni, I hung out with two crowds. There was the Metalheads and there was the Indie Kids. And there were two bands that covered both sections. We all loved Cart the Unstoppable Sex Machine and Faith No More. So Faith No More were the sound of my uni. And I was at, first year was when the real thing broke. And first time I heard Faith No More was at a student disco and they played Faith, uh, We Care A Lot. And I loved that tune. And so I went out and I bought um, Introduce Yourself and I bought The Real Thing. But you could never get hold of this first album first album we care a lot you could never get it and it took me about three years and i finally tracked down an original copy on vinyl from Mordam records i've still got it and the first thing i remember is the fact that the words are different on we care a lot in this version i always get them wrong whenever i listen to it but this album is it's a brilliant album i wish i'd seen faith and with chuck mosley at, at, at the at the lead i mean mike Patton is awesome don't get me wrong but i wish i could see in this era and uh, some of the tunes as strong as ever and as the worm turns still a live favorite um, this album's a little rough and ready, but you could see exactly where Faith No More were going to go. And, yeah, I'm not going to say a bad word about it. Absolutely love it. Love the band and can't wait to see them again next year. So, yeah, Faith No More, we care a lot. I care a lot too. And we like a lot. Brilliant. Thank you, Jay. Faith No More, a band so unique. I hope you get to see them next year. Truly do. Moving on, things are getting a bit darker now. As Andrew shares his and his wife's thoughts on The Return by Bathory. Hi Hierarchy, Andrew Matthews here. My 1985 homework was The Return by Bathory. This starts with three minutes of guitar squeals and groans, and then degenerates into a production so lo-fi it makes early Venom sound full-on Dolby. There's some nice riffs in there, but the growls are impenetrable. I mostly liked it. My wife thought it was pretty background music, but they should get a better logo at least more easily readable, and that the rest of it was shit. It's all was good. So there you go. A new logo could have enhanced Bathory's popularity. I always look forward to Andrew's straight-to-the-point reviews, and, of course, his wife's thoughts as well. Great stuff. So keeping things in the year of 1985, and it's on to my review of The Skull by Trouble. Robbie here with my homework, which is The Skull by Trouble. Now, shamefully... This is an album that I hadn't heard up until now. I was and am familiar with their 1992 album, Manic Frustration, which is one of my favourite albums of this early 90s period. Although there is a distinct difference between Manic Frustration and The Skull in that the 1992 album does focus on a more stoner psychedelic sound, a bit more commercial than this, which is an all-out doom metal fest. So as you might expect, The Skull is dripping in that doom metal richness. It sounds evil, and it's not just evil sounding for the sake of trying to be evil. It's not hammy or cliched. Now, some of this, I think, is down to those crushing riffs that carry so much weight, you simply can't help but get drawn into the all-encompassing doomy feel. However, there is plenty of variety on here, from the classic heavy metal and new wave of British heavy 
metal influences to thrashy elements. So take Wickedness of Man, for example, the glorious, glorious Chug and Gallop of Maiden clearly making its mark on the band, as well as some beautiful dueling twin harmonies from the guitars, which grace this and many songs. Now, when a band is as tight and as locked in as Trouble are here, Doom, when executed like this, is a truly hypnotic thing such as Gideon or Pray for the Dead, it's no wonder that Trouble are heralded, rightly so, as pioneers and forefathers of this style of music. Now, if I were to pick one song that you might go away and listen to, I'd say Try the Wish. It's an 11-minute epic that begins with stirring ballady intro with Eric Wagner's tender, soft vocals. Now, they create an unnerving, menacing feel. Now, just on Eric's vocals, he has a very, very distinct style. It may be the thing that makes or breaks this album for you. They can be quite decisive. And if you think maybe somewhere between Axl Rose and Robert Plant, you'd be close to knowing how he sounds. So, yeah, going back, that ballady intro. Don't be fooled, though. The doom comes. The riffs come. And when they do, indeed they do. Now, long before grunge was a popular thing, Trouble were unleashing catchy, head-nodding, heavy stoner jams that sound so glorious. So pioneering, visionary, innovators, they may well be worse to describe Trouble. And if you like your metal crisp, weighty, and with a big dose of Sabbath, well, that's about all of us, isn't it? Um, you can do far worse than the skull from Illinois Doomsters Trouble. It's now over to Neil Bolton, who has been a star student. He's mixed things up a little bit here. He's done two years, 2016, and kicking off with an album very close to his heart from 1985. Now, what are the chances of getting an album for homework that you would pick yourself for the D'Andrano years? Well, that is what happened to me. An album I truly did not need any excuse to play to review, but I certainly played it anyway. Misplaced Childhood is one of the greatest albums ever recorded in my opinion, and it's not even my favourite album by Marillion. That would be for Gazzy. Yes, it has some of the most commercial, even poppy songs of their career, with Kelly and Lavender, it also contains immersive poetry in Bittersweet, Anger in Waterhall, and then the anthemic joys of the tracks Childhood Ed, Childhood's End and White Feather. It's a concert album which is very close to my heart, as in 1985 I was experiencing the things that Fish looks back upon in his lyrics in this album. Amazing Steve Rother guitar work, along with all the band, just holds it high in my thoughts today. Now I am well aware that in this club many people just do not get this band, which is fine. They are also confused that when a lover of this band can go on to the pleasures of death and black metal. And then there are people who I know that feel just the same as me. I got a lot of grief at school for liking this band. I'm used to it. I don't care. There is no childhood's end. And then as my second piece of homework I received Chemis a band who I was totally unaware of. They are a doom band from Denver, USA and have been going since 2012. And I'm a doom metal fan. How have I missed them? They are metal with a large doom injection with clean vocals that sit on top of the heavy tunes extremely well. These vocals also occasionally morph into the familiar growl. Their music is well crafted and well performed. And even though it is very much based upon Doom, there is a hint of the trad in there and an even smaller sprinkle of a thrash in there to keep it fresh and interesting. It's a wonderful find. 
with three albums to go out, one EP, a single and a split release to now dive into. I am a very happy metalhead with whoever put that into the DeAndrado years. Seriously, how have I missed these guys? Now, not only has Neil been a star student, he is also a lover of all things to do with the M6 motorway. He absolutely loves that road. He is also the custodian of Bolton's Bangers, the fantastic popular feature within the club where he picks a band and then you choose three albums, three songs, sorry, from that band. It's a cracking feature and we're looking forward to getting stuck into the next one. Moving on now, it's the club's very own Carl Black. So this is a queer turn of events right here. I've just had my first vaccination jab. Go me. Um, and I've been told I've got to wait for 15 minutes before I can drive anywhere. So I thought as on the way down, because I've um, I've had it in a place called Basingstoke, amazing Stoke to the affiliated. Um, uh, I've got to, uh, it was about 50 minutes from my house, so that was just long enough for my DRI dealing with it album. Now, um, running down here, obviously, listening to this, it was uh, obviously a very good, obviously everyone knows DRI, or a lot of people do, they know what they're going to expect, they're not exactly going to stray too far from the formula. It's been a little while since I've listened to a complete album. This one was pretty much no different. It's crashing along, two minutes slow or mid-paced intro, then a really fast section, and then other songs just fast all the way through. There's plenty of fast, that word again, fast. It's just a fast, fast album. Um, enjoyed listening to it. Now I got this something 25 years deluxe, super duper version of it that I downloaded from Spotify. Um, and that had something like 32 tracks on it with it's just over 50 minutes long. By 50 minutes, I was kind of, that's enough of that, please. Um, I've, I've done it. And plus the production isn't absolutely top notch and superb. Um, the drums on some of the songs, because there are you know, demo versions or um, playing in a garage version or whatever it is that they filled the album up with, the drums sound like um, cardboard boxes and um, the production isn't absolutely fantastic. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it and um, I would probably listen to it again. I'd have to give it a rest for a little bit first. A um, uh, little bit of speed fatigue, but um, a fast album and a thoroughly nice uh, precursor to my first vaccination jab. Might listen to the another DRI album when I have to come back in a few weeks time. Who knows? I think, Carl, you might have hit upon something there. Maybe they could make everyone listen to some DRI after their jab. There could be those listening booths that you used to get, and there could be short, sharp blasts of crossover. Hmm? No? Okay. Well, it's on to the machine now. Paul Hutchins, with his review from an album from 1995. 1995's homework found me listening to the third album by Seattle's Alice in Chains. The eponymous release followed 1992's Phenomenal Dirt, a record which to my mind is flawless and probably the best album in the Alice in Chains studio catalogue. In common with Dirt and their debut facelift, Alice in Chains is a dark and depressing piece of work. Themes of drug abuse, <clears throat> death, depression, isolation and anger. But while the album may be doomy and sludgy, there's little to dislike. 
Kicking off with grind, which truly does grind, Alice in Chains is around 64 minutes of high quality grunge. The songs are expertly crafted, with vocalist Lane Staley appearing on his last studio album before his death in 2002. Alongside Staley, the main engine of the band, obviously, is Jerry Cantrell. He keeps the guitars down low. With his down-tuned guitars, they maintain the sludgy feel, but with enough riffs to keep the record interesting. Cantrell takes lead vocals on Grind, the acoustic splendour of Heaven Beside You, and the closing song over now, with Staley adding rhythm guitar on Head Creeps. This album obviously also features drummer Sean Kinney, and makes the, marks the debut appearance of bassist Mike Innes. While the second half of the album may not have the urgency of the first few tracks, it remains an excellent listen. Of all the albums nominated for the De Andrade years, this was one I was not only happy to review, but also very familiar with. People might say that grunge killed metal in the 1990s, but regardless of your viewpoint, this is an album very much worth a listen. The Machine doing what he does best. Another great review. Thanks, Paul. Now, Alice in Chains, they're a band that truly epitomised that heavy feel that you can get in music without necessarily being heavy, as in the rip-your-face-off kind of heavy. And like Prong, who Rob spoke about earlier, you'll always know that you're going to get riffs with Alice in Chains. So that's great stuff. We've been sitting on a lot of these reviews for a few weeks now, and that's why there's a mixture of years in these reviews i'm going to throw in my second review now and it's over to israel for 2018 of an orphan land album hi robbie here and yet again my homework is an album by a band i've never really got into despite always liking a little bit of music i've heard from them the band is israel's orphan land and the album is 2018's unsung prophets and dead messiahs so for those familiar with Orphan Land, it will come as no surprise that what's on offer here is a collection of stirring, at times marauding, deaf doom, with the folky traditional Middle East flourishes that Orphan Land weave into their unique sound. So I think in frontman Kobe Fari, they have an enigmatic leader whose striking voice effortlessly switches from warm, tender, soulful to the crushing deaf growls, and then there's captivating narrative parts as well. On the opening of the cave, he truly shines as a hugely epic and complex eight-minute intro to the album twists, turns and sets the tone for the next hour. There's choirs of backing vocalists and they elevate the track to levels you'd maybe expect from an album closer. However, the energy created from the start of this album is maintained throughout. Um, there's a kind of dream theatre-esque progressive brilliance of a song called Chains Fall to Gravity. Um, then there's the power metal infused Like Orpheus, which has an appearance from Blind Guardian's Hansi Kush on vocals. Orphan Land do keep the interest focused, they really do, and the inclusion of many Oriental or Middle Eastern stringed and percussive instruments. Now, these are not instruments I'm aware of, and I've since researched and found there. The instruments are called the Oud, the Quanan, the Saz, and the Dabuka, so they're stringed and percussive. Um, and the addition of those to conventional sounds we're used to in metal adds so much depth and intrigue. And they effortlessly fuse the folky charms of the Middle East with the marauding death and doom metal. Um, the additional guests certainly add much to their songs. Steve Hackett as well guests on one song. Uh, yet it's the unsung cast of the backing choirs and singers who add so much to enhance the sound, feel and emotion in the songs. 
In the song, In Only the Dead Have Seen the War, Thomas Lindbergh from At The Gate lends his vocal prowess to his vicious, crushing death metal song. It's a blistering track. It's so heavy. It's so good. Yep, it's getting the deep and good. Music can be such a powerful medium, especially when it has the ability to transport you figuratively somewhere else. When the music is more than just sounds and you can immerse yourself in the songs, you know it's something pretty special. This, for me, is what Unsung Prophets does. Sure, it's not for everyone, and I bet the strong eastern sounds and flourishes that scatter this album might not be everyone's cup of tea. But if variety, character, and stirring emotion is what you want with your heavy metal, then this album is worth listening to and properly invest in time in. So before we move on to the final review of this episode, if you like what you've heard and want to get involved in the next one, then let us know. If you don't fancy recording an audio clip, that's absolutely fine. Either myself, Carl, or another member can read out your review for you. So here we are, Mike with his review, an album from 1985. Yo dudes, it's 1985 and it's Asylum by Kiss. King of the Mountain opens up this album with a bang and it's stomping and paving the way for this glam-tastic rock ride. It's not lost on this metal dude, the Kiss went more glam during their unmasked period, right about the same time that other glam bands were piling the makeup on. A new lineup was on this album and they replaced one flashy lead guitarist with another lead guitarist who played some flashy stuff, it's fast and there's some memorable solos. It also had a new sound, but I think that was just Paul Stanley on the production helm. Who knows, I don't find the songs to be too particularly memorable. The ones that do stand out are Who Wants To Be Lonely with its weak and pondering immigrant song style riff. <laughs> Tears Have Fallen is the only single from the album, and it's not great, but besides that, there aren't any other real tracks that stand out. Being objective though, it's a decent record, man, but it just lacks the simple magic of Kiss. It's a bit of a faceless, mushy set of riffs. Most Kiss albums contain at least one standout song, but there's not one here. Well, not standing out for the right reasons. Maybe except one, which I'll mention later. Tears of Fallen was the only single from the album, and it's probably the best thing here, although it's hardly an A-grade track. It's certainly the best of Pork Stanley, and Gene Simmons' best would be any way you slice it. However, the band did manage to reach a new level of sophistication. If Derek Smalls was proud of Spinal Tap's Evan for sex for him, he must have been positively beaming it all night. Now there's a sophisticated song that I'd expect Steel Panther to have written. Thank you very much, and good night! Wow, what a way to close this third instalment of The Hierarchy Decides. It's been so fun to put together, it really has, and it's with huge thanks on behalf of myself and Carl to Rob, to Jason, to Andrew, to Neil, to Paul and to Mike for submitting their reviews that we've been able to use and put together. Now, if you like what you hear about this club and you're a bit intrigued, head over there, Facebook, Thrash Metal Album, The Fortnite Club, seek us out. It's a really cool online community of people that are into heavy music. There'll be another Hierarchy Decides coming out, I don't know, in the near future, as and when we get a few more reviews coming in. There's no set time scale for it. It's just have a bit of fun, and I hope you like it. Now, in the words of Mike, finally, thank you very much, and good night. Uh...